The strategy of setting lineups. What factors go into your start and sit decisions? Matchups? Streakiness? Number of games in the week? Projections? Roles? We'll go through all these factors to consider for your thought process. Plus, we'll have some trade deadline deal reviews, waiver wire, pitcher preview, injuries, and more. Rotowire's Clay Link joins us on the Beat the Shift podcast next. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. We're starting to see some of those trades in as the trade deadline is approaching next week. Really, really hot in New York. We got a heat wave. It's 90s every single day. How about you? How are you uh, handling the heat? It's it's a shame our sports teams aren't as hot as the heat wave that's going on here right now because the New York teams are buyers, sellers. We have no idea what's going on, and it's going to affect the uh, our local teams. It's also going to affect our fantasy teams. Yeah, so there we go, and see what the Mets do at the deadline. All right, well, we've got a great show. We've got a fantastic guest. Plays with me in Tout Wars. He's over at Rotowire, the original winner of the TGFBI overall. Welcome to the show, Clay Link. How are you, Clay? Hey, fellas. Good to be back on the show. Good to talk with you, as always, Ariel and Ruven. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, kind of the dog days, kind of hot here in Wisconsin, even. Uh, humid hot. So it's um, trying to battle through and stay laser-focused to the end of the season. Absolutely. Well, we've got a great show, and we're going to talk a lot about lineups uh, as uh, you might have been setting some of your lineups uh, along the way. And uh, there's a lot of strategy involved. There's trade deadline strategy. So we're going to talk a lot about all of that. And let's just throw the question out for you very generally, uh, Clay. You know, when, when you set your lineups, and this week was a tough one because uh, there was a lot of teams playing five games, playing seven games, and there's always questions. What, what do you look for in general when setting your lineup in terms of players, whether to play the active ones or swap them out for a bench guy? Well, I bet you guys are like me in that the process for setting lineups really begins with fab and kind of looking at what I need. You know, has anybody been placed on the IL or option to the minors? Are guys losing out on playing time? What holes do I need to fill? So the, the lineup setting prospect uh, process really ties into the fab process. And it, it starts um, the weekend before. And so looking ahead, I usually try to stay kind of focused on the half weeks in the NFBC. If guys are playing only two games, um, I'll usually swap them out unless it's a superstar player. And uh, try not to focus too much on cold streaks because it's kind of arbitrary endpoints really throughout the season. It's a small sample. So I try not to get too caught up in streakiness, but more so just uh, looking at playing time, being sure guys aren't in the minors and, and still in my lineup or on the injured list. So it's, um, for me, it really, it, it's a kind of a process with the fab and a situation where I, I really kind of tie it all together and it, it kind of blends into the fab process. So my thinking starts the week before with setting lineups. All right, fair points. Um, Ruvain, what about you for your general uh, method and strategy for setting yours? 
I tend to agree, agree with Clay here because when you look at your lineup before you do Fab, you have to see where you're going to have any holes. And if you're going to have any holes the following week or if you want to swap out someone who you know is going to have five games for someone who's going to have seven games and who's on the Fab wire, and you can pick them up and you can just swap them in and get that extra two days if those players are comparable. I also think that it's very important to look Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday afternoon to see what news comes out to see if any players all of a sudden out of nowhere have to end up on the IL and to, ch and to change your lineup really early. So you have to be aware of who's healthy, who's not healthy, and you have to be aware when the games start on Monday because there are a lot of early starts, especially in the summer. There are some day games on Monday. If you don't get that lineup set properly right away, you may be screwed for the entire week. Yeah, so Clay makes a very good point that really you're looking first at your waiver wire and you know, a lot of times you're you're baking in, oh, I'm going to drop this person and start this person simultaneously, that your lineup setting process doesn't just come on Monday, oh, who's better? Uh, certainly, obviously, on Monday you will play who's better, but it, the decisions come beforehand with judging what could be a, a, a creative to swap out. Um, I look at projections. I start with looking at next, of you know, one-week projections. Uh, I know uh, the bat, Derek Carty, does a good job with that. I believe Rasball has it. I know CBS Sportsline also has it as well. Uh, but just looking at raw projections, because, you know, sometimes you do get caught up with some streakiness. The person is hot or not. And actually, I want to ask you about this, Clay, because you sort of mentioned that you're not into streakiness. You know, if, if you see a guy who's went 0 for 12 the previous week, um, are are you gonna sit him? Or maybe not over twelve, maybe over twenty. Are you gonna say, all right, this guy looks off? Maybe he's not healthy and just not play him. And of course, on the flip end, if this guy hit two home runs over the weekend and he's batting seven, he's batting five hundred, let's say over uh, the last two weeks, uh, are you more inclined to play him even if he's a lower player? I try not to get caught up in all that because when I made the decision to pick up or draft that player and, and deploy them. I had a certain expectation. If they're falling short of that over a small sample, I don't, I don't want to overreact. So I really try not to get caught up in, in streaks too much. Of course, if, if those streaks are affecting playing time, then I will have to take notice. But um, I think doing that and kind of overmanaging can be a problem if you are a little too pull-happy with some of these guys and uh, take them out at the wrong time. You could really end up regretting it. The the fringe guys, maybe you play the streaks a little bit more, those end-of-your-roster types, but I really try not to because I think you can you know, really shoot yourself in the foot because the best players in the game can can go into a slump and go hitless for a week, and then they could explode. So I don't think – I think you could really do yourself a disservice if you get caught too much up in uh, streaky performances on the field. You take a guy like Anthony Rizzo, Ruben and I own Anthony Rizzo in an NFBC league, and mm -hmm. he just looks hurt, right? It, you know, it's one thing if if a guy is is if a fringe guy is hot to not buy into that, but if you have a guy who's you know not at the top, certainly somebody in in the first four or five rounds, you're going to play no matter what. But if you have a guy who's you know a zero to even ten dollar player, Anthony Rizzo, he just looks hurt, and the theory is that maybe it's not just a cold streak. Maybe it's it's something else, Ruben. What about you? I mean, you, you, were you you were inclined to to sit him for a, a while until we see something, right? Yeah, and and, and Rizzo was the guy I was going to bring up because Anthony Rizzo, before he hurt his neck, and there was an injury, he didn't go on the IL, but he's playing every day and he's playing for space, so he's not losing any playing time, but he's sort of 
has to play. With Aaron Judge out, he's forcing himself to play. Even if he had a little, if he had an injury that required an IL stint, he's still playing because the Yankees need him. They need him in that lineup no matter what. So if he's playing a little hurt, same thing like with um, Pete Alonso when he came back too early from his wrist injury when he got when he got hit. They said it was a matter for three weeks. He came back for ten days. He was ice cold for about two three weeks. And then Clay, you mentioned you don't know when they're going to turn it on. You don't know what's going to happen. And Alonso seems to have, he has found what's going on. He's he figured it out and maybe he's just 100 percent healthy now. But Rizzo is still the same thing. He homered over the weekend, but one home run over a weekend after not homering for about a month and a half that's still a, a cold streak for him and that, that's I, it's very hard to keep someone in that lineup even if you have a better option like and knowing nfbc we picked up patrick wisdom and we've been playing him instead and i think even having him in the lineup is better than having an injured anthony rizzo or what i think is an injured anthony rizzo who's underperforming yeah anthony rizzo is really good really tough example because he's one where my stubbornness probably would have you know backfired because i probably would have kept him in through a lot of that until it just got to the point where you know, it was just so obvious that he was not himself, but I probably would have kept him in my lineup far longer than I should have because I am kind of a stubborn person. Yeah, I mean, certainly with Pete Alonso, uh, he was hurt and he did underperform and you probably shouldn't have had him in your lineup. But, you know, when you get to that stage, Pete Alonso was a second rounder this year. What's the opportunity cost? Who you're playing instead of him? Are you going to pick up somebody from the waiver wire to play over Pete Alonzo, right? <laughs> Just like the team decides, you know what? Alonzo's better than whatever. Alonzo at 80% is better than whatever option that we have, or Alonzo at 50% is probably better than whatever other option they had for the minors. Uh, they they figure, you know, do that. Well, you should probably do that for your fantasy team, too. Certainly, if you have a fringe guy versus another fringe guy, you know, take the hot one over the cold, right? It's all about drawing the line in must-start. Who You know, where's the line in must-start for the hitters? Now, that's hitters, but what about pitchers? You know, if a guy is, is struggling and has thrown, I don't know, three games in a row of clunkers, five runs or more, um, you know, I tend to, unless he's at the very top, unless he's talking about, you know, a, a number one, maybe number two pitcher, I tend to maybe want to sit them with three clunkers in a row. And uh, conversely, uh, you know, if, if you have somebody towards the bottom who's had three starts in a row, unless you can see that the person's very lucky, you know, maybe, oh, look at the Babbitt, very lucky, strand rate is ridiculously lucky. If they look legit, strikeouts are up, walks are down, I would continue rolling with them and saying, you know what, there's something there. Like uh, you say, Kikuchi is my example that we had. I saw him really early, looked really good, and I said, you know what, it looks legit. I'm gonna pick him up. I'm gonna keep playing him, and I would play him over maybe some of my other fringe guys because I like the stats. So I think the streakiness for pitchers, I think three games in a row for me of either hot or cold is an indication. Uh, of course, assuming that there's no luck involved. Do you agree with that, Clay? Yeah, I think so. I think with pitching, you can kind of get a sense, you know, three starts for a pitcher, I think, is more telling than three games for, for a hitter. So I think you can read a little bit more into a pitcher's success or struggles over a three-start sample than you can for, for you know, hitters. But I still think you want to, you know, you don't want to make any sudden roster moves. You don't want to drop a guy who's struggling if you, uh, if you believed in them preseason. I, I think... You know, I had a guy like Graham Ashcraft on a few teams, and it was going really well and really poorly, and now it's going well again. So I I think you want to maybe ride out some streaks with pitchers and 
sure you can make some some lineup changes, but I think I need a bigger sample before I actually drop a pitcher. You know, I wouldn't want to cut a guy who's I don't know who's got some upside, but maybe has hit a rough patch, like maybe like a Blake Snell earlier earlier in the season that could have really burned you if you'd uh, if you you know in a shallower league dropped him amidst his struggles. Well, what what about what I, I'll give you an example? What about Joe Ryan? Joe Ryan has been very good all year, but look what he's done recently. He's yeah. in, in his last start, three and two thirds, four runs. The start before that, six innings, four runs. Three runs against Oakland, five runs against Baltimore. I mean, is that a streak where you want to think about sitting him? He's supposed to pitch possibly against St. Louis this coming week. Is this a guy you just have to ride with? Or, I mean, are you more concerned that there's something underlying, something going on? Oh, that's a good question. I think with a guy like Joe Ryan, you have to just ride him out because realistically, what are your, like kind of what Ariel alluded to, who are you going to have on your bench or who are you going to pick up that's going to realistically be an improvement over Joe Ryan? I Maybe you could look at somebody and say, oh, yeah, maybe with this matchup he could be, but the overall body of work is still really strong. And, you know, this is a, such a hard game. Think about Manny Machado through the end of June had, what, like a 686 OPS. Now that's on the hitting side, but I think either way – Pitchers can, even if they're really good, kind of fall into a little bit of a slump. Maybe their mechanics get out of sync a little bit. And I don't want to miss out on what could be a big rebound from Joe Ryan. So next week against St. Louis, I mean, I, I feel great about turning him loose there. I I really want to focus more on the overall work. And if a guy is really struggling, maybe there's an injury, but I don't want to put too much stock into the performance over a few starts. Hey, what do you do with the Yankee pair of pitchers, uh, Severino, Luis Severino and Domingo Herman? I mean, Severino has been really bad all year. Lately, you've had a couple of good starts, a couple of bad starts. Herman, I mean, he's been up and down. He had that no hitter, and then he, or, and then he had uh, a blow up. Game. You're selling uh, him short. Per- yeah, perfect sorry, game. sorry, <laughs> no hitter. Perfect yeah. game, but uh, Domingo Herman, and then uh, oh, you know he was terrible against the Mets the other night. What do you, what do you do with that? Oh, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say, but I think with Herman, it's there's so many like long balls. I, it's hard for me to trust the guy who gives up so many homers. He's given up nine in his last six outings. The K to walk looks good, but even with that perfect game built in, he's got a ERA over five and a half over his last six outings. So he's a guy that I think is very much fringe in most leagues. Probably going to be bouncing on and off rosters the rest of the way, but uh, I'd probably hold on to him in a 15-teamer because of the Ks, but I think in a 12, he's uh, he's going to be a guy who's added and dropped, and that's probably how he should be treated, a guy who's just um, bouncing off rosters the rest of the way. Well, I have him in Tout Wars in the same league as you, 12-team league, and uh, <laughs> I might be dropping him. It, again, it all depends on who's available instead, right? Yeah. Severino, Severino, I have no idea about. I'd love to hear if you guys have any read on him. Well, we actually have him in NFBC. I, I think we have him in NFBC. We have him in one of the labor, labor. In, in, in labor. I'm sorry. We have him in labor. And we were thinking about dropping him this past week. 
but he was he's two star for this week. So we wanted to see how he played out, how those two starts. You know, I think it was uh, two weeks ago. He was two star because if you can't pitch him when he's two start, and if you don't feel comfortable pitching him when he's a two star pitcher, then he shouldn't be on your roster at all. There are waiver guys who you can do two start, like this week Patrick Corbin and Austin maybe again an Austin Gomber two start. I think those guys right now are on the same level as as Severino because Severino is just not consistent. There's something off also. He's not 100%. Maybe he's not 100%. He's trying to push it. There's something not going, not right, and I just don't feel comfortable with one start. And if it's two start and you can't start him with two start, then you have to drop him. But I think he's a hold just because he has that potential. I hate to use the word, but potential of all those strikeouts and the projections gave him a lot of strikeouts. And hopefully he will get that, that those strikeouts through because even if you get that one start pitcher on the waiver wire, you're not going to get as many strikeouts out of them as you may get out of Severino. Clay, what do you do when setting your lineup in terms of matchups? And I guess it's a combination of matchups and picking up off the waiver wire, right? I mean, uh, uh, mm-hmm. are you looking at the teams that they face? Are you looking at uh, lefty-righty uh, for hitters? Are you looking at whether they have five games versus seven games for a pickup? Are you looking at, oh, wow, here's a lefty platoon guy. Is he facing righties or lefties? Like, What, what things come into play for you when trying to make your pickups towards setting your lineups? Yeah, I think, you know, I will take a glance at Todd Zola's weekly hitter rankings over at Rotowire, just to get a sense of you know, which teams, you know, match up well or have good favorable matchups uh, against certain pitchers and which, you know, platoon players could be on the outs for playing time in a half week. So uh, I'll look at that, but it's more so just, um, you know, games for me in the half week. If a guy's playing two, like I just mentioned, I want to usually get him out. If he's playing three against an option that I have playing four, I'll, I'll weigh, I'll dive in a little bit deeper and, and weigh things. But, um, you know, and too, if I have a guy like Jock Peterson or somebody like that, and I'll just want to be sure that they're not facing a bunch of lefties in a row. So, um, you know, I don't really start any short side platoon bats, but I will want to check my strong side platoon bats to be sure that they're not, you know, facing a slew of same-handed pitchers in a, in a given week. But uh, typically for me, I'm focusing more on matchups on the pitching side and uh, just doing what I can on the hitting side to, to plug any holes. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree uh, pretty much. Uh, you know, the thing about the number of games is that, and we talked about this uh, last week and a couple times in the show, that, you know, if you have a guy, let's say, in the, the uh, let's say for the whole week playing seven games, he's, you know, let's say a $5 player, and you have a guy who's a $20 player playing five games, if you do the math, the stats are going to be almost even or even favored by the guy who plays five games, right? A guy who's playing seven games, maybe he's on, on pace for, uh, um, you know, seven, 65 RBIs from his stats all year. And the $20 player who's only had five games, maybe he's on, has on pace for 85. But you do the math, if you take five-sevenths of a number, you're still going to get more stats from the guy playing the seven games, right? Even if he's a better player, even if he's a worse player than the guy playing five. And and when you're having the half week in the NFBC, playing two games versus three or two games versus four, I mean, there's no contest. Uh, even if you take the, the, the top guys, I mean, I would never sit a first rounder, but, uh, you know, let's say a guy in, in, the, in the fifth round, I don't know, I might be playing some of these fringe players fringe waiver wire guys, as long as they're regular players, right, not platoon guys, 
I'll be playing them over the, the guys with only two games almost every single time if they have four. I mean, do the math. It's double the stats. You're not getting double the value from, from playing uh, a hero, right? But that doesn't apply for, like, your top four or five picks, right? Like, you're not going to swap out Nolan Arenado, for, you know, for on two games for three from some... You know, Jake Berger or somebody like that. No, no. There's obviously a line up top which you're never playing, yeah. and of course, you know, of course, the the uh, the opportunity cost, like who you're replacing with, you know, it goes all the way down to the bottom. Uh, but you know, there might be situations where you have a middling guy, uh, maybe your your third outfielder who has two games versus a fifth outfielder outfielder type who has four. That's to me an easy decision to go with the guy who has four games, provided he's not a platoon player. Yeah, I think that's smart. I mean, I, I think over the course of a season, if you do that, you're going to come out well ahead because you're adding, I don't know, what, 100 at-bats, maybe more. If you play those sort of uh, – if you add those games to your lineup and swap out guys with only two and a half weeks. So, yeah, I think yeah. it's all about accumulating. But, I yeah – Top five or so picks, five rounds, I will pretty much leave those guys set for the whole season. But there's, there's one thing you have to think about, though, because those guys you're going to swap in that have three games in, instead of two, those guys may be just home run guys. They're just maybe uh, stolen base guys. You have to see whether or not that fits your what you need in, in your profile for your team. Like if, if you need stolen bases and that plays two games and another guy plays three games, I don't know if I want to do that because the chance of him maybe playing, maybe not playing, let's say you have a, like a John Birdie type player. Whether you want him in your lineup or not, if he does, if he's playing every day, then fine, take him. Then, you know, no problem. But you don't know if he's going to, some guys, you don't know if they're going to play every day. And that's the risk you take when you, you get uh, these these quote-unquote fringe players that you don't know whether or not they're going to get the full playing time, whether they're going to play both games, whether they're going to play three games, whether they're going to get the stats that you want, because there's no, there's no guarantees in that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, let's be clear. Sorry to interrupt you, Ariel. I just, let's be clear that you know over the course of the season, we all bat, what, like 550 on our you know borderline lineup calls? <laughs> You're going to get a lot wrong. So, so you just got to try to minimize those once you get wrong. You're going to leave some stats on your bench, but um, you can't really worry too much about that because every other player is uh, making those, you know, getting some wrong on the on the fringe lineup calls, uh, just like you are. So Now, I do want to talk about two-star pitchers. I mean, just go back five years ago, and... I, whoever was a two-star pitcher, you'd be like, let's let's pick him up unless he's really at the bottom. But there was uh, there was always a number of pitchers who'd be like, okay, two-star, let's give it a shot. Here's five two-star pitchers, take one of them. Uh, I find that nowadays that not to be true, and and for two reasons. Number one, the quality of the players who are fringe and available on the waiver wire, especially in the fifteen or or deeper type leagues. Um, they're just not there. Like, there's nobody who you say, wow, let's give a chance. They're all, you know, 5-ERA guys. Uh, just nobody even to think of. But furthermore, there's no win potential. I mean, you have guys who are fringe. They're going four innings. And if they're going four innings, two games, sure, they're pitching eight innings for the week. But there's zero chances for a win, right? You're picking up the the two you're picking up the two star pitchers because you think that you're going to get a potential for a win or maybe two. You're not getting that anymore. Um, I'm more inclined to not 
overdue in those two-star pitchers. Either focus on a good one-start or even play a good middle reliever who might get you. Only caveat to that is there are some fringe pitchers who, if you somehow are okay on ratios and you're okay on wins, and they just do get the strikeouts, they get five, six strikeouts to start, well, then your two-star pitcher we're talking about 10, 12 strikeouts. That's already something. But otherwise, I'm not inclined to go for those anymore. Thoughts, Clay? I think you make a lot of really good points there, Ariel, because I, you know, we've talked a lot about two-star pitchers on our Friday podcast over at Rotowire, and one of our listeners did a little bit of a study, I think it was last year, two years ago maybe, found that only about 60% of the pitchers who are projected for two starts actually end up making that second turn, whether it's due to rain out, injury, you know how it is, uh, shuffling in the rotation. So you're really it's kind of a coin toss if you're even getting that second start. You're, you're right that pitchers aren't going as deep into games, so the win potential isn't there. I think, yeah, it's, it's also a situation where I think the communities, the fantasy community at large has kind of gotten smarter, and a lot of these guys aren't freely available on the waiver wire to pick up for two. So it's a combination of things, but I think you're right that you know, two-star pitchers kind of coming less and less uh, desirable because a a lot of them struggle the fringe guys and b they might not make that second turn so it's um uh, you look at the guy you think you might have two but i think you gotta really consider that tentative and uh not give them a big edge over a, a one-star guy who may be better skilled with a slightly better matchup ruin do you agree yeah, and I think you have a better chance sometimes of getting a win using a reliever because a lot of relievers are, are getting a lot of wins, and they're not going to hurt you as much in your ERA and WHIP. And you may not get the strikeouts, but you still may have a possibility of gaining in two categories, possibly third with the wins. When you have a two-star pitcher, you're trying to gain the wins, but you're sacrificing the possibly sacrificing ERA and WHIP and the strikeouts. These these two-star pitchers are not high strikeout pitchers. The two if they're high strikeout pitchers, then the high you know um, high K per nine, they would not be on the waiver wire to begin with. So they're the reason why they're there. They're the reason why they'll get maybe four, maybe maybe four strikeouts to start. So you're going to get eight strikeouts. And if you have a reliever who goes three times and gets one to two strikeouts when he's out there, that's six strikeouts. You're going to have a better ERA, better whip, and just almost as good a chance of getting wins. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, Clay, in terms of your Roto Leagues, at what point do you consider category standings when when setting your lineup so uh you know usually in the first part of the year we're playing your best player no matter what right you don't mm. play crappy players you don't look for it there but at some point we know at the very end when you see oh wow i need a couple of steals i'm okay with homers what point in the season do you switch and say all right before i set my lineups i gotta look at the standings in my position first well typically around the the all-star break i'll do uh full evaluation of my team, kind of take stock of where I'm at in certain categories and maybe start to, you know, try to corner certain categories at the expense of others. I don't like to do that much earlier in the season because it is such a long season and it takes a while for these categories to really take shape. So I, you know, I, I don't want to get too caught up in chasing certain stats until about the halfway point of the year, the all-star break. And I don't won't really put that much into action until around August first. So I, I really stick to the best 
best uh, 23 players that can for, for the first three months or so. What about you guys? Do you do you start to, to look at where you're at in the categories earlier than that? Yeah, I th- I think I look, uh, like you said, around the All-Star break, I think it's a good time to look at it because in a lot of leagues that have trading, the trade deadline is coming up for a lot of people the same around like a week after or during the time of the MLB All-Star, uh, MLB uh, trade deadline as well. Mm-hmm. So if you see you're so far behind in a category that if even if you try to get more stat- more counting stats in that category, like stolen bases, and you see you're just not going to catch up or you're not going to gain that many points relative to what, what you want to get, then I think it's time to bench those players or even try to trade those players if you're in a trading lead and same thing with saves let's say you're far ahead in saves or you're near the bottom in saves and you don't have that much points to gain or lose then i think at that point you should really see maybe trading one of these closers or, or something like that or or even in, in when in, in an instance if you have a fringe reliever who gets some saves or is in a committee you may want to think about even dropping them just so you can have another roster spot so you can churn starters if you need it so I don't look at all uh, in the first two months uh, whatsoever. Uh, the only caveats to that, though, are in the initial draft, if you know you see where you are in the standings in, in terms of projected categories, and if there's a big imbalance, then I might check that. Uh, but assuming it's all even, you know, then I don't need to. The other caveat in looking at it early is if you have an injury to a guy, either in a in a, a top guy who just, you know, d- does a lot of different categories, uh, then I might check that league a little bit more because I'm, I'm being hurt at the top. Or if there's a category-specific guy. I mean, if you had uh, Luis Arias and, you know, and he's hurt, then you would check your batting average if— if you're going to have Estuary Ruiz, you know, you're you're going to look at your stolen bases and see where you are, right? So if you if you have an injury sometime in the early going, then you'd want to take a look at it a little bit more in depth. Otherwise, um, I'm not really looking at it for the first couple of months. In June, I'll glance at it a little bit just to see, hey, do I have any major holes? I'm not looking at it every week for, for setting up lineups, but I'm looking at it to see, oh, do I need to pick up somebody on the waiver wire? Do I need to make a trade? After the All-Star break, though, I'm looking at it almost every waiver wire period. Uh, Not that I'm going to be able to do anything with it, uh, anything major with it, but just in case you you have to make a pickup, maybe you'll tilt towards the category. Or in case Mm. where there's a lineup question, maybe you tilt toward it. And, of course, the last month, you're really just looking at it and seeing where you need the stats and and you fortify it in the last month of September. Yeah, the last month, I just want to scratch and claw for any roto points I could possibly get. Um, if that means, you know, sitting all my closers, maybe even dropping them, then, then so be it. Because um, in the end, it's just about jockeying for, for placement in your league. And if you kind of can, if you're at the point where you're winning the league is kind of out of it, but maybe you could get up into the money, second or third, well, then uh, do whatever you have to do to, to get up there. Because in in the end, it's all about money. <laughs> you know, the only thing real about this game is money. So, yeah, Clay. <laughs> in in terms of roto, in terms of pitching, you know, how much do you consider the potential of damaging your ratios versus counting stats? So, if you're playing uh, some fringe starters at the bottom, how do you decide when to say, "All right, let me get those extra strikeouts" versus, "Oh, I don't want to throw that guy. It could hurt my ratios." Like. I, uh, in, obviously, in the last couple of weeks in the season, as you just said, you're gonna you know go whatever category you need more. But how do you do that early on in the in the year? Uh, good question. I 
if I have an extra reliever who's pretty good, like a Yenie Cano, who was pitching well earlier this season anyway, um, maybe I'll swap him in if I if I uh, feel like a, a starter's at risk of lighting my ratios on fire. But typically I like to keep a, you know, a split of six starters and three relievers or seven and two. And I don't really like to stray from that and add more relievers. Like I don't really like four relievers um, to, to help ratios. Maybe you do that early on or in a week that's kind of wonky, like the coming out of the all-star break. But, uh, you know, I, I really want to, get as many starters in there because I don't want to fall behind in, in wins and Ks. So uh, I will probably to my, it's been to my detriment several times and probably a weakness in my game that I can address in time. But usually I will trot out some, some questionable starters uh, probably against my better judgment just because I, I don't want to fall back in wins and Ks, which could be really hard to make up ground in later on. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I I do agree to a certain extent though because the you're not going to get many wins out of the out of the, those some of those uh, two star pitchers you're going to get some of them especially if it's early in the year they may not go the innings you need to and later in the year it gets a little bit harder to help with your to fix your ratios if you if you do it let's say June and May and maybe a little bit in, even in July now that's fine you still have two months where you can make up the ratios where you can throw those middle relievers and hopefully make up those ratios but I don't want to do it to the detriment of how I'm doing overall because if you if you see that you're in a position where your ERA and WHIP can take a hit when it comes to um, the, the ratios, and then I'll throw out the two-star pitcher. But I think if I think if, if I'm going to lose points initially with it, I'm a little nervous because it's hard to gain those points back right away. And also, also remember, you're playing against other teams, and they're looking at the ERA and WHIP. Also, they may play the reliever game in, instead, and and you have to mix and match and try to fit. Each league is is on its you know its own its own bubble, and you have to figure out how to, how that works. But I I tried to stay away from especially some of the two-star pitchers that I know are questionable, and I will actually do that. I will throw four relievers at a time. I will throw four closers, especially early on in the season, and we've done that because that's when the closers have their jobs, and you know that they're going to have the opportunity to get them. But I, I don't like throwing out the questionable starts. I like the two starts, but I don't like throwing out the questionable starts. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm more to the uh, point of, you know, don't, you know, play really safe and don't throw out, you know, potentially crappy starters. Although I, I have found myself this year lacking in, in strikeouts. Uh, wins has been a crapshoot, so not that category. But strikeouts, um, it, de- it really depends really depends on the format. Um, I, I'm doing the NFBC auction, and we're at the top with strikeouts. That's because we've focused on getting good starters, and we played it safe at the bottom. It worked. In the 12-team leagues, though, um, I probably, let's call it 10 and 12, I probably could have gambled a little bit more. Uh, I probably could have thrown the extra starter uh, because the starter, the extra starter is a higher quality than they are in the 15. Um, and I find myself a little bit low on the strikeouts in 10 to 12 leagues. Uh, you know, it really is a gamble each year because you don't know what the player pool is going to be. But it seems that for this year, um, you should have gambled more on the 10 to 12 and played it safe on the 15 is, is what I thought. Hey, what do, you, what do you guys do with Shohei Otani? Um, do you ever consider starting him as a pitcher? Uh, I know that in labor, we started him for the first four weeks, and that's because we had three major pitcher injuries early on. Uh, it just We had to, and we had healthy hitters. But nowadays, it's so hard not to throw him as a hitter, but 
I mean, he's one of the best pitchers also. <laughs> is there any advice other than it is what it is with the pitching? You just got to throw him as a hitter, Clay? Well, it's nice that he gives you that kind of safety net to where if you have a bunch of injuries on the pitching side, you can slot him in. I wouldn't do it. I would just kind of set it and forget on the offensive side, put him in that util and just let him be. But, um, yeah, it's kind of nice to have that option. I just wouldn't really take it and haven't really much in the spots where I have Otani. So, I, you know, it's nice, but in, you know, weekly lineup leagues, for me, it's, you know, it's kind of an obvious call that you just got to take those hitting stats. Yeah, other than a two-start. If Otani is a two-start yeah, pitcher, yeah. that's that would be. Uh, now, a question for you, Clay, as uh, someone who won an overall contest here. When do you actually look at you, the categories in your overall as opposed to just your league? So if you're playing in the NFBC uh, and you're doing rather well, you're in first or second place, do you have any sights on the overall, or are you still looking to fill categories on your league level? What, when do you switch, or do you look at all? You know, it's funny. I was talking about that with Todd Zola, who also won an overall in the TGFBI, and he kind of made a good point that when you're when things are going that well, <laughs> your lineup just kind of sets itself. Like it's just you just kind of keep rolling with what got you there. So I don't really. When I was fortunate enough to be in the lead in TGFBI, I was just enjoying the ride. Basically, it was just I couldn't really make a ton of bad calls. I wasn't shooting myself in the foot and. I was just kind of hoping to keep that streak going. And so, you know, at the end, maybe I took a glance, but I think I pretty much kept my same lineup construction and then everything throughout the season. So if things are going well to where you're in competing for an overall, I would say that you shouldn't overthink it and you should uh, basically just ride with, with what got you there. So I don't think, um, I think you can do yourself a disservice by looking – Getting too deep in the weeds. And Ruvain, you finished second to Todd in the overall that year. So what did you have any sights on the overall or did you just look at your league or you just played the best player at the end? Well, in, in my in my situation, in my league, I was blowing everyone out. I had like a 20-point lead, so I wasn't even looking at the league anymore. For the last six to eight weeks of the season, I was looking at the overall. I was trying my best to try to see what I can do to get there. I never was able to overtake Todd Zola. He did end up beating me by like a couple of points. But I think we have a team right now in NFBC in the auction league that we are 30th overall and we're second in our league. The top, tw- I believe it's the top twelve that pay out. If you're going to do the, if you're talking about the overall, I don't think it's worthwhile to look at the overall yet because you're still jockeying for position in your regular league. If you if you don't place in your regular league, usually you're not going to place in the overall anyway. So I think you have to concentrate on your regular league first. Maybe if you're still in it or you're in the top thirty, let's say when it comes down to mid August and beginning of September, then you can start looking at it. But a lot of times when you're at the top, you're looking at both you're looking at you know, looking to where to improve. A lot of times where you have to improve in your league is where you have to improve in the overall anyway. All right, good points. And before we talk more about some trade deadline players, time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. So that's exactly what we're going to be talking about right now. We're going to be talking about 
noteworthy trades of value that from team to team and who we're going to drop, who we're going to hold on to and everything like that. So my first question, and this is this trivia question, is going to deal with the first player we're going to be dealing with. And there are four closers in baseball. There have been four closer relievers, let's say relievers, who have 10 or more saves and an ERA over four. Who are they? Mm. Ten or more saves this year and ERA over four? This year and an ERA over four this year. Who are they? Go first. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to say Alex Lang. No, he just missed it. He's just (laughs) under four. Uh, I'll start with uh, Kyle Finnegan. No. So one of them happens to be one of the guys we're going to talk about, and that's Pierce Johnson. He has an ERA over five, and he has over 10 saves. Now, there's one other guy on this list who has an ERA over five also with 10 saves. Could you guess him? Scott Barlow? Scott Barlow. His ERA is over five, and he's got more than 10 saves. He's got, I think he has 12. But the two other pitchers we're missing, A.J. Puck. His ERA is over four, and AJ Minter. He's not the closer anymore, but he was closer long enough to he got a couple. He got more than ten saves, and his ERA is also over four. So Pierce Johnson was the guy who I'm referencing here because he was traded to the Braves, and when he's traded, he was a partial closer, and now he's not a closer at all coming to the Braves. So Clay, is he just going to be a straight drop in your leagues right now? I think so because of how many quality arms are ahead of him in that Atlanta bullpen. So, you know, Iglesias has been awesome. I mean, Yates or Minter's on the IL, but they got you know, Joe Jimenez, Yates. I, I just, I don't see him getting a ton of leftover saves. So maybe if you're in a league that counts holds, I'm sure you hold on to him. But I think generally in a five by five traditional mixed league, you, you cut Pierce Johnson. Yeah, Pierce Johnson is an easy cut in almost every single format. Maybe a very deep NL only, maybe, but nah, it's, 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 he's a cut. All right, so a couple of other noteworthy uh, trades, uh, talking about change in fantasy value. Uh, Kike Hernandez was traded to the Dodgers, and just to lump it in, Ahmed Rosario was also uh, sent to the Dodgers in exchange for Noah Syndergaard. I think Noah Syndergaard is not worth playing anymore. Uh, but what about Kiki Hernandez, Ahmed Rosario? Rosario had been cut in a lot of even shallow leagues. Um, Kiki Hernandez, any of these guys uh, worth owning more? I would probably say yes to both now. Kiki Hernandez probably now viable in ten team, sorry, in fifteen team league as a you know, injury replacement, and Rosario now becomes more interesting. The RBI opportunity, the run scored opportunity. I like that move for him for his fantasy value. Do you agree, Clay? Yeah, I think he um, probably will play quite a bit. I still don't know if, you know, Med Rosario's, you know, great option. He, because I think they do kind of like Miguel Rojas, so I don't know if it's going to be a Med Rosario as as the regular there right away. Could be, but, um, you know, Kike, I think they kind of made clear that if he was coming back aboard the Dodgers, he's going to fill a very niche role. So I think he's, you know, only against lefties and, Probably, you know, you said maybe 15 could be, but I think that might be kind of pushing it. I would probably hope for a better option. Ahmed Rosario, though, at least gets a little bit of life into him. And if he was dropped, yeah, I think you cut him or you, you pick him up. But I think you do so with the knowledge that, it, you know, he's going to have to earn his playing time on this Dodgers team. It's not going to be handed to him. 
and the fact that Rosario uh, Rosario is 27, Miguel Ross is 34. I think down the stretch Rosario may get more, a little bit more playing time, but I think to begin with he may not got he may, he may actually lose some playing time because he was almost a regular in Cleveland. Here he's not mm-hmm. going to be almost a regular because they have so many guys who play so many different positions. Kike Hernandez could play the infield. Chris Taylor can play the infield. They have so many guys now. They have a glut of multi-position eligibility players on that team that it's going to be uh, basically it's it's a merry-go-round. You don't know who's going to be starting when and it's very hard to you know if you want to start him in a, in a in your league if you start him for a week how many games is Rosario going to play if it's let's say they have a six game week is he going to play four games is he going to play five games or he can play all six so he's a guy that if you really want to get those county stats I don't think you really count on him because he may actually have a downturn in playing time yeah that that's true um I mean Kika Hernandez uh, maybe 15 you're right play is uh, a little too aggressive. Uh, I just know that the Dodgers like him. I mean, they had him before. Um, and Rosario, I think it's a wait and see. I, I think you might be surprised that he'll start more. I mean, he's had he's had a lot of multi-hit games in the last couple of years. He, he's been a good batting average player. Uh, maybe the Dodgers see something. So I think that, you know, we, we've got a couple of days before the weekend. I think you can see how often he starts. Um, and, of course, if he does, then I think he is uh, his value goes up. And may, maybe you're right about his playing time going down. I'm going to say that he'll probably be on the optimistic side. So if you're in a uh, pick-up-any-at-any-time kind of uh, spot and you're in a 10-team league and he's available, I think you should definitely give it a shot. He's definitely worth the, the, the try. Um, another uh, trade that I Do you mind if – well, I was going to yeah bring up another trade. I just kind of would love to hear what you guys think about the Angels – publicly pulling Shohei off the market and then trading for uh, Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. I was um, not necessarily surprised that they pulled uh, G- or they pulled Otani off the market, but I was a little surprised they traded two top prospects for uh, Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with the wild card having uh, three wi- – with each league having three wild card teams – you know the the chance to make it is so great, and the Angels are you know they're they're there. Um, <laughs> you know I, I can't say that they will make it. You know certainly they've got some injuries too, but hey they they have a chance. Uh, according to the ATC projections on Fangraphs, the probability for the Angels making the playoffs is well actually it's only fifteen percent. <laughs> so uh, you know it's one in six. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that it, it's also political. It's also about the fans. You know, how can you mm-hmm. trade away Otani? Um, how, how can you do that? You got Mike Trout on the team. It's just a bad message to the fans. You also lose the ability to sign him. Maybe they want to sign him. Maybe, the, you know, the, they are going to be an aggressive bidder. And certainly if they trade him, uh, that, that they're out. Uh, I, I think that the pulling Otani is less of a surprise to me. The going for Giolito is is a little bit a uh, little bit more surprising. I mean, they don't have to; they could try what they have. Uh, but you know, maybe it's a message to the fans, and and you never know. Um, I was never a big Giolito fan in general. Obviously, it's a much better spot for him to play in: more wins, better ballpark. Uh, as far as Reynaldo Lopez, I don't think I think that's a minor trade. That just helps the mm-hmm. bullpen. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm a little surprised, but it's positive for Giolito's value fantasy wise, I think. Ruby. 
Well, well, actually, I think Giolito's going to go into a six-man rotation now, so you may actually lose a start here and there, which is possible. But I think this trade was done for Shohei Otani, to show him, to maybe have the Angels maybe try to keep him, to show that, you know what, if we're close, we're going to go for it. We want to be competitive, because that's what he wants to be. He wants to be competitive. So this trade may not get them anywhere, but it's to show, maybe to show Shohei that he that they want to win, and that he should try to, you know, try to stay with them, because when they're close, they will go all in. I mean, they the Angels re-signed Mike Trout. So, uh, you know, they, they've, they've had a... a a pretty decent short-term track record, I'd say. You'd say about signing these players, and you know we've seen with the Rendon signing that they're willing to do these big signings. So maybe this is for the message of of Otani. Um, and uh, breaking news just now for us as we're recording is uh, Carlos Santana. Uh, Rain, why don't you uh, break the news? Yeah, Carlos Santana was traded from the Pirates to Milwaukee. Um, he was traded for a minor league uh, shortstop, an 18-year-old, and Carlos Santana is, is 37. That's a pretty, it's a 19-year age difference in trade in trade uh, capital, which is kind of interesting. Um, the question is, they're, they're, the Brewers are now acquiring Carlos Santana. He's going to play first base a little bit. Was Rowdy Telez going to lose some playing time? Is is Santana going to lose some playing time now? Are they going to you know uh, have him there for the DH because Jesse Winker just went on the aisle, so they need another bat in the lineup? I think that's probably the core. I think Santana is going to DH some more. I think Santana will have the same amount of at-bats. And with Telez still being out, I think they needed a first baseman immediately. And because the NL Central is so so not good they still think they have a chance and they do have a chance and i think they're just trying to push their chips this isn't this is like a minor trade it's not a major trade but playing time wise carlos santana will be in a better lineup uh, hypothetically a better lineup and he'll get the same amount of plate appearances so i think carlos santana's value actually goes up clay what do you think yeah i think so too i think that's a pretty nice park to to hit in uh, if, uh you know it's kind of used to be miller park now american family field still plays the same but I think uh, for Santana switch hitter will probably be a nice fit in that park and yeah I think he'll probably be his play time will probably even out and be the same as it would have been Rowdy Telez had a bit of a setback recently um, but he was getting his stitches removed so he's gonna be out for a little while yet and so clear crystal clear in the meantime and then when uh, Telez is back. Maybe he sits a little bit more frequently, but like you said, Ruvain, you know, Santana DH a lot makes a lot of sense. So probably room for both Telez and Santana against right-handed pitching. Yeah, Telez should actually have a decrease. Uh, Ruvain, we've got uh, Rowdy Telez in a 15-team NFBC. He's hurt now, and who knows if what playing time will get later. Is is that almost a drop? I mean, I think in a 12-team league, Telez is a drop now. Is he a drop in a 15? In our specific case, the answer is no. In in most cases, the answer is going to probably be 50-50, but in our case, is no because our team still needs power. One of the categories we're lacking in is home runs, and we need home runs. He's still a home run threat, and you're not going to get that many home run threats on, off of the off of the waiver wire. So if you need still power, he is going to come back. He's going to come back in about two or three weeks, and hopefully his hand will be completely healthy, and hopefully he'll, he'll provide some power because if you but let's say, have Santana DH and, and have Telez um, batting uh, right after him at first base, those are two big power bats there. They're going to generate some RBIs and, and home runs there. So I, I don't think he's a drop in our specific case. But, again, it's a team-by-team -team basis. 
Yeah, I know we always like to, to make general rules and say the drop or this. And, and, of course, we always say that, well, it depends on your team situation. <laughs> it's really true. I mean, you can make a general, uh, this is what's going to apply to most teams. But uh, in your specific case, if you need homers, you might want to keep the lads a little bit longer. So that's always true. Um, now, I, I think it's going to be a very slow uh, trade deadline. I don't really see big, big changers. You're not going to see these uh, Broadway, Hollywood trades of, uh, you know, these blockbuster deals. Uh, but, uh, Clay, who else do you think is expected to change teams? I have to imagine the Mets are going to get rid of David Robertson. Um, anybody else of note that you think is going to change teams? And, and is there any fantasy guys to pick up right now? Um, waiting on that, meaning, oh, this guy is going to move, so you better get pick up this guy. He might be interesting. Well, the St. Louis Cardinals have already said publicly that they're going to be sellers, so and they will trade people. So I think, you know, even though the NL Central is wide open, they're going to probably be, uh, you know, moving guys in a fire sale, essentially. So probably Jordan Montgomery, I would think. Uh Maybe Jordan Hicks on the move. Maybe a guy like Paul DeYoung, too. Uh, they have a number of guys. Tyler O'Neill potentially. I think <laughs> I think they're kind of done with Tyler O'Neill, so probably would be good for both sides to turn a page there. You know, in a lot of leagues, you're not able to stash prospects, like in the NFBC. But if you are able to, maybe you got like Mason Wynn on that team. He's a shortstop prospect, and... Really had a nice spring training, impressed a lot of people in the organization. And at AAA, he's got an 814 OPS, 14 homers, 16 bags. So, yeah, it's kind of like, well, why would they bring him up if they're selling? The guy's kind of earned it. He's he's kind of, I wouldn't say kicked the door down, but he's uh, he's pounding pretty hard at that door. And uh, Paul DeYoung's kind of had a resurgent campaign, but why not give him a look? I know Tommy Edmonds kind of inching closer, but I think you could uh, maybe give Mason Wynn a look down the stretch if he's uh, if he's available. You could maybe pick him up. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. I kind of like uh, well, he he was already promoted, but Marco Luciano. He's he's up now. Not a trade that cleared the spot for him, but I think he'll be up for uh, for the Giants now and. You know, not a great season overall in the minors, but he's been playing well over the past month or so. So maybe you give Marco Luciano a look. All right, good stuff. Ruben, anybody to add? Yeah, I'm going to mention two guys from the trades that already happened. Justin Lawrence. I mean, he's a guy, he, he's probably going to be the closer there right now in Colorado if you really want to have the Colorado closer. And if you need a closer, I think he's a guy, who, he's an instant pickup if he's available. And another guy, a guy in Cleveland, I did a little, uh, you know, looking at their at their, uh, at their page on, on roster resource, and I'm looking, and this guy named Brian Rochio. He's been playing for Cleveland. He's in the AAA. They brought him up for a cup of coffee already earlier in the season. In the Myers in AAA, he's a third base shortstop. Um, in the Myers, 298, three homers, and 19 stolen bases. So he's a guy that because they traded away Rosario, he may be called up, and he may actually get some playing time, and he's available in a lot of leagues. So if you need stolen bases, he may be a guy you can stick out, stick in there and be able to get the stolen bases that you were hoping to get from Ahmed Rosario. All right, let's do some waiver wire picks. Let's talk about a few potential people to pick up that might help you this week. Um, you know, could be a shallow, could be deep league. I'll leave it up to you. Clay, why don't you go first? Who's a couple of guys that you might want to pick up now? Well, I think the number one priority, if he's 
out there miraculously somehow. It's Trevor Stories uh, could be back as soon as this weekend, inching up the minor league ladder on his rehab. So, you know, if you can, if he's still out there, I'd get pretty aggressive on on Story. Also, Alex Kirilov, kind of uh, my second, you know, pie in the sky. If he's out there, sort of sort of guy. He's kind of taken off in recent weeks for Minnesota and. Looks like he'll be, you know, playing a lot for a team that's battled a ton of injuries. He's now hurt, too, of course. But uh, assuming this is nothing too bad with his shoulder, uh, I think Kirilov could be in for a really nice uh, final couple months. And some guys who, you know, maybe a bit more widely available. Um, well, let me see here. I had Mason win. But, oh, Sal Freelich. Sal Freelich. We were just talking Brewers. Saw Freelix up. Not a ton of category juice here, I don't think. He's uh, the, the minor league numbers, you know, only two homers and eight bags and 40 games with Nashville. But he, he can hit. And I, I believe in the hit tool. We saw a little bit in the WBC. A great start for him with the Brewers. Five for 12 with uh, five walks against only two strikeouts. So I think Sal Freelix, a guy who. You know, if you can, you know, live with him maybe not being the most exciting, uh, impactful guy in the stolen base and home run categories, he could be a nice net positive for you in the end. And uh, finally, I'll say Kevin Ginkle because I just picked him up in a league. Uh, maybe a short window, maybe Arizona goes and trades for a closer, but I think any window for a closer is uh, – useful. So I think Kevin Ginkle should have a a nice little stretch here where he can close. Yeah, no, good call on Ginkle. Definitely someone to look at. Frelick, by the way, also has a homer in this first couple of games. Yeah, that's right. Um, think, think Stephen Kwan. That's sort of the type of player that you get from Sal Freelich. Very unsexy, but should get on base a lot. Uh, the hit tool's really good, good average. We'll give you a couple of bags, occasionally a homer. So it's, again, somebody with overall good value, even though if he doesn't look like he's really picking it in any one single category. Stephen Kwan is sort of my my uh, comp for him. Uh, Ruvain, what about you? Uh, any uh, guys to pick up? Yeah, I want to mention, I mean, Marco Luciano was already mentioned, but we saw him playing in the Arizona Fall League two years ago. He he looked pretty good then. The question is, how much playing time is he going to get? Because uh, um, Brandon Corbett's on the IL. He could be back next week. And Tyro Estrada could be back in two weeks. So it's possible that he may not get that much playing time in a couple of weeks. So even if you pick him up, it may only be for a short term, but it's still worth the shot because he is one of the, he is their top prospect. He is their guy, and I think next year he will be the guy. So here's something just to think about. Uh, John Birdie, he's eligible. He's only avail. He was taken only in 19% of CBS leagues. Eligible at second, third, shortstop. He's played the last eight games in a row. He's scored seven runs, two RBIs, two stolen bases. He's getting on base. He's betting close to 400 in those games. If you need a stolen base guy, he's a perfect guy for that. And, Clay, you mentioned Trevor Story. I'm going to mention Brendan Rodgers, 9% owned in CBS. He's on a rehab assignment. He could be activated August 7th. So this is the week to get him. The Rockies play a lot of their games down the stretch at home, and a healthy Brendan Rodgers is not a bad thing to have, especially if you can get him for very cheap. Clay, why isn't John Birdie? Why isn't John Birdie running more? Um, you know, he has a pretty good average this year, and you'd think with all that, he would have at least like twenty steals. Why does Freddie Freeman have about the same steals as John Birdie this year? That's a good question. I 
don't know exactly, but I'd imagine it has to do with uh, the, just the philosophy there and um, their new manager, he, former Red. What the hell was his name? Um, sorry, I should should know Skip Schumacher, of course. Former, uh, he was with the Reds a couple years, but maybe it's just Schumacher not wanting to run as much. I think that would probably explain it. I don't think it's something where, you know, his skills have diminished or anything like that, or he doesn't want to. I'd imagine it's just the yellow and red light is on a little bit more for him. Okay. You guys agree? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I- Philosophy team. It has to be team philosophy. Yeah, Marlins ranked twenty third in terms of stolen bases, tied for twenty third with the Dodgers. So they are bottom ten in in steals this year. Yeah, so it's a it's a philosophical change, I guess, because he's getting on base. You know, Uh, you think that if John Birdie's on base, oh, there's the steals, but but not. So it, it and it comes to show you that stolen bases is almost more a product of the organizational's philosophy and the green mm-hmm. light given to them more than their own skill cuz John Birdie could have ended up with 50 steals this year if he if he wanted. Really. You know? Yeah. And I'll throw out another name probably rostered in your deeper leagues but uh Luis Funky Cold Medina uh, for Oakland's been pitching pretty well. He does walk kind of a fine line with the free passes but He's got a 2.90 ERA over his last six outings, Luis Medina. And you're probably not lo- using him this weekend against Colorado, but then he's, I think, home against San Francisco next week. So a guy to consider if you need pitching help. Just thought I'd throw yeah. that out there. Now, before some other pitchers, I'll just give you some of my picks here. Aside from what we already mentioned, um, you know, Kirilov's teammate Max Kepler, only 15% owned. I was high on him before the season started. He's hot lately. He's now up to 14 homers overall, and that's with all his injuries. And since June 30th, four homers batting 316 and 15 RBIs. Um, so I think that that's somebody to take a look. Maybe he was not healthy before, uh, but he, he's a, almost a 25 home run player um, who can have a decent average. And they bat him in the heart of the lineup. So I, I think Kepler is interesting. You think he could uh, be traded? I think uh, he's a name that I've heard rumored. In trade, sorry and to cut would, you off. And he would, and he would fit very well in left field in the Yankee Stadium, I think, because they don't have a left fielder. And he, they, they, have been rumored to the Yankees so many times that there's a very good chance he may get traded there because the Yankees and Twins have a history of trades. Yeah, and that could open up a spot for Matt Walner if uh, Kepler is traded. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Um, uh, the guy we've mentioned before, but uh, um, reliever Joel uh, Payomps. I don't really know how to pronounce his name, Joel. Uh, but uh, he's only owned in 25%. He's got a 171 ERA, a .87 whip, 54 strikeouts, and 47 innings. And this is not a one-year thing. Over his career, which is 160 innings, 287 ERA, 117 whip. He's like picture Yanier Cano. He's easily the setup man in Minnesota. By the way, the last time he gave up a hit or a walk was seven outings ago on July 6th. And the last time uh, Pamps gave up a run a run, was 17 outings ago, June 10th. The guy has been unbelievable. Zero ERA and a .35 whip with a 21K to 15, 21K and 17 innings ratio. That is crazy. He's been fantastic. He's been the best reliever in baseball in that stretch. So, uh, I mean, maybe he's due for a blow-up, but this guy looks good. Ruben and I went to see a Brewers game, uh, Brewers versus the Mets in person, and Man, that guy looked really, really good. 
His his stuff looked electric. It looked even better than Devin Williams that night that we saw him. He, his yeah. stuff was biting, and the, the Mets were flailing away. I mean, the Mets do that a lot, but he, the Mets were flailing away, and it was just it, he looked overpowering at that point. And he doesn't throw 100 miles an hour, and he he just looked overpowering. Yeah. All right. Pitcher preview. Anybody uh, to add in terms of pitchers to pick up? Let's go to Ruvain first. All right, I got a couple. Now, we're talking about the two-star and the possible, you know, whether or not you want to do that or not. I have one possible two-star pitcher next week, and that's Jose Quintana, if he's, if he's still on the Mets. Um, he's 32% on CBS right now. He's possible two-star at Kansas City and at Baltimore. I like the one start against Kansas City. I'm not so thrilled about the second one at Baltimore because it's at Baltimore, and Baltimore is good. But he is 32% owned. He's available. His last couple starts, he's a 3-2-7 ERA. He's got eight strikeouts and 11 innings. So he's a guy to think about. Now, I have two other single-start guys that are a little bit more appetizing, and that's Adrian Hauser. He's only 8% owned in CBS, which means he's available, and he's facing Washington at Washington. I like that matchup. That's a very good matchup, I think. In Adrian Hauser's last three starts, um, he's gone 16 and two-thirds innings with 19 strikeouts. So he will get you some strikeouts when playing against Washington. For Milwaukee, he has a good chance of wins. And another guy who you may want to think about, it's Ross Stripling. I don't know how far he's going to go in the game, but he's only 15% on CBS, and he's playing at Oakland. Anyone at Washington or at Oakland, sign me up. Well, you really ripped my list. Uh, those were my guys, really. <laughs> Uh, so uh, good, good job, Ruvain. I, I, I know we'll be on par for a pickup this week. What about you, Clay? Well, a guy who I kind of had in my head, he's been kind of disappointing this year, but then I looked, he's got 11 wins. So he's probably not going to be out there in a lot of leagues, but Taiwan Walker at Miami, then versus Kansas City next week. Um, somehow he's was dropped or sitting out there. Go, go out and get him. And then this one's kind of a stretch because I think we've kind of all been burned by him. At some point, he's uh, starting tomorrow, but then next week he lines up to face your Mets at home. Uh, Brady Singer. Now, again, we've all kind of been down this road. hasn't been pretty for the most part, but he's, you know, aside from one bad outing recently, he's pitched okay lately. His last five starts, he has a 3.66 ERA, uh, 23 Ks. You know, not, not a guy who's going to miss a ton of bats, but... Um, if your Mets sell off a few pieces, that outing next week uh, could be pretty nice for for Brady Singer. So I'd, I'd consider him if uh, if you need if you're desperate for an arm. Uh, maybe Ryan Yarbrough too on that team. It's, it's scraping the bottom of the barrel, but he's a, a deep pull if you need a guy. He went six innings uh, earlier this week. Yeah. Now the interesting thing is when you're looking on the waiver wire. Um, very important for pitchers. Look at pitchers who go deeper into games. Look at it's it's the best stat is innings pitched per. Uh, sorry, is uh, yes, innings pitched per game start. I know when I'm doing my Tat Wars rankings preseason and I'm trying to look at who I'm going to pick, I pick high innings pitched to game starts because those are the guys who get you more innings for point leagues. But those are guys who get you wins. Brady Singer last couple games in terms of innings six eight five seven six seven. That is good. And in that span, he has two wins. So, you know, you're going to – and he has a couple of decisions. So even if it's a bad pitcher, if they're pitching many innings, they're going to get you more decisions. And if your team can stand – if your roto team can stand a ratio hit, losses don't count. Those are the guys who are interesting if they're available. So I like that pick of Singer. 
And Yarbrough, his last, you know, he wasn't stretched out earlier in the year, but last three starts, six innings, five and two-thirds and six. So he's been uh, piling up the innings lately. Yep, getting there, getting there. Innings, it's it's playing time. As as we say here, playing time is king. There are uh, yeah. there are there are three important things in fantasy baseball: playing time, playing time, and then follow rules number one and two. So there you go. Yeah, um, all right, and another guy, one last guy, I'll just throw out there, kind of pitching more in the bulk relief role, but that's actually proven to be a good thing for him. Nick Pavetta, oh, yeah. I didn't realize just how good he's been lately in that bulk relief role. So kind of you know not necessarily in that rotation technically, but. He still takes the ball every fifth day and has a better chance to earn wins working in bulk relief. Oh yeah, that that's a ticket right to more wins. You can pitch two innings and yeah. get and get it. Uh, and Pavetta is not available in any of my leagues. That's because uh, I picked them up in a bunch. Uh, nice. So that definitely, yeah, definitely a great pick. And uh, he, he's he's looking great. We have like a twelve or thirteen strikeout game a, cu- a couple weeks ago. He just looks fabulous. Uh, and the, and the Red Sox need innings. The Red Sox need innings these days. Yeah, and I know that they are going to sit down with uh, Tanner Houck and uh, Garrett Whitlock and discuss their roles. Either way, I think Pavetta, with the way he's pitching, should be in there. It sounds like Houck and or Whitlock could return in relief, which kind of surprises me. All right, moving up to your injury report. What do we got going into the trade deadline? Well, we hit a lot of them already during this podcast, but we'll start with Brandon Crawford. He's on the IL with left knee inflammation. He did not need an injection, and he's reporting improvement. Marco Luciano was called up, but Casey, Casey Schmidt, if he continues to hit okay, he will still get more playing time than Luciano. You never know how the split's going to be. Mentioned Jace, uh, Jesse Winker is on the aisle with back spasms. We don't know how bad it's going to be. Abraham Toro was called up, and Sal Freilich, like Clay mentioned, has been getting a lot more playing time since then. Chris Bryant was placed on the IL with a fractured left index finger. No word on how long he'll be out for. If surgery is required, he may be out up to eight weeks. If not, it may only be about four weeks. But in the meantime, Randall Grichuk is a guy you can look for if he's on your waiver wire to try to get to, to you know to get some more power there. Gabriel Moreno was placed on the IL with left shoulder inflammation. We don't know how bad it is yet. He had set out a couple of games before then. Carson Kelly will be the primary catcher again for the Dimebacks. And I want to end on positive. You mentioned Trevor's story that he's going to be coming back possibly very soon. Chris Sale, he's been on the IL since early June with a stress reaction in his left scapula. He will begin a rehab assignment next week if the live batting practice he had today, he pitched it today, goes well. If all goes well, he could be in the Red Sox starting rotation again early to mid-August. All right, there you go. Uh, What a great show today. A lot of great strategy. Good players mentioned. I uh, want to thank you, Clay Link, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. And uh, why don't you just tell uh, everyone uh, where we can uh, listen and read and hear all things uh, Clay Link. Yeah, check us out over at Rotowire. You know, a lot of attention being paid to fantasy football this time of year, but we're still grinding away on baseball. We have everything you need over there. Rotowire.com slash try for a trial on us. Uh, at Clay W. Link on Twitter. Check out the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball podcast as well. And yeah, I really appreciate you guys inviting me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Ariel and Ruvain. And I uh, hope, you know, to reciprocate, maybe have you guys on our show soon. Well, sounds good. And always a pleasure having you as well. Um, we haven't seen you at the, uh, at the, uh, the last uh, first pitch. So hope, hopefully you can yeah, uh, come to that. Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, amazing. I'll be there this year. So, right, yeah, fantastic. I 
got to catch up with all all of you guys and you know hopefully everybody can make it out this year that sounds good amazing all right once again uh oh actually let's go to Ruvain first Ruvain, <laughs> why don't you tell us uh, what, what's going on with you you can follow me on Rotoballer, where I have a weekly article coming out every week discussing all the injuries that I discussed today, as well as other injuries as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come, next man up, and all that. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can read my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer, and uh, I'm on Twitter at ATCNY, and of course, right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. All right. Once again, thank you so much to Clay Link for joining the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore shift underscore pod.